Holy Week is the week between Palm Sunday and Easter. For the church, it is a time of devotion to the passion of Jesus Christ, a time of significance where we consider the journey of Jesus toward the cross, his steps, his actions, his care, his love, his sacrifice. And with us today, men's pastor Brad White and director of women's ministry, Dixie Lovett. Today I'm reading from Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 61. When the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, the betrayer, saw Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought the brought the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it's blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast... The governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And when he had, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor said to them, Which of you two do you want me to release? And he said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. 
And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. The two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He has saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now. If he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him kept watching over Jesus, saw the earthquake, what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening... There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Now I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 52, beginning in verse 13 and going through chapter 53 uh, through verse 6. 
Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. In this form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Today is Good Friday. It's a time um, in our faith that we remember the crucifixion of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross for our sins. I've just read about this account in Matthew, and again, the prophecy uh, that Isaiah had written in chapter 52 and 53. And this is also known as a suffering ser- servant passage. But when we come to faith and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we testify to belief that Jesus was crucified and resurrected from the dead. But there are some that will argue that neither the resurrection nor the crucifixion happened. But, you know, I often ask myself, this causes me to think, why do I believe what I believe? And then on top of that is, how can I defend that or how can I be prepared to give an answer for the the hope that I have. Um, The crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ is the foundation for the gospel. And it's of first importance, as Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 15. And without the death and the resurrection, Paul says that our faith is in vain. Today with me is uh, Brad White. And um, Brad has been doing some research in this area and has written a paper. One of the quotes from your paper, uh, Brad, comes from David Platt, and it says, To this day, the ultimate question for Christian faith and for our individual lives is this. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Is it a question of truth, not preference? So, Brad, I know there's a lot of people uh, that do wonder and they want to be able to give an account for what they believe in the cre- the resurrection and the crucifixion. So can you speak to us a little bit today and maybe give us some clarity on some of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important for us to be able to understand what some of these theories say so that we can look at them briefly and do a practical evaluation and really a deconstruction of them so that we can defend what we know to be true in the resurrection of Christ. The first theory is a theory called the swoon theory. And the swoon theory essentially says this, that Jesus never actually died on the cross. Through his pain and through his agony, Jesus went into this coma-like state. And then when he was placed in the tomb, he was brought back to consciousness. 
And then in this state, he was able to convince his disciples and others that he had risen from the dead. Well, a couple problems that exist with this theory are first that the Romans were experts at crucifixions. They knew exactly what they were doing. And the soldiers who were in charge of completing this crucifixion knew that if they had not done their job correctly, that they themselves could have faced crucifixion as a consequence. It's also really implausible to think that this barely alive Jesus could have uh, withstand these these wounds and providing uh, the fact that he had no care, he had no one to give him any type of aid for 40 plus hours without any water or nourishment, and then is able to go and convince these disciples, this barely alive man, that he has resurrected from the grave. So I think this one is pretty easy to see that there's no way that this swoon theory is plausible. The second one is the theory of the wrong tomb, which essentially says this, that early in the morning, the women who went to the tomb first simply made a mistake that they showed up at the wrong tomb. And then from there, they had this conversation with others saying that Jesus had risen from the grave. The problem with this is that not only would these women have had to have gone to the wrong tomb, so would have everyone else who was involved in this story. So the Romans who crucified Jesus would have had to have gone to the wrong tomb. And most importantly, Joseph of Arimathea, who we talked about in the story, it was actually his tomb that was used to bury Jesus. And so he himself would have also had to go to the wrong tomb. So this one just doesn't make a lot of sense. The next theory is called the theft theory. And the theft theory says this, that the disciples basically stole the body of Jesus. But what we need to be reminded of is at the time of Jesus's crucifixion, the disciples were in a great deal of fear and they had gone into hiding. Also, none of them were really expecting or understood his plans for resurrection. These men were untrained, unskilled fishermen who would have had to have gone against the strongest, highest trained military of the time who were guarding the tomb of Jesus. So these facts alone make this theory highly, highly unlikely. Uh, Charles Colson, who was a counsel to President Nixon after Watergate occurred, said this quote, and this is so good. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proves it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured this if it was not true. Watergate involved 12 of the most powerful men in the world who couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? And the final potential theory that floats out there is one that's actually the most common. It's called the visionary and legendary theory. What this says is basically that the disciples begin to have dreams and visions that Jesus was alive and that he had been vindicated. And over time, these visions became these legendary stories of bodily resurrection that had happened. The problem with this theory is there are non-biblical uh, evidences that support that Jesus was resurrected bodily. There's a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus who lived between 37 and 101 AD, and he recorded an account of many people who saw this resurrected Christ. And also, we have to take into account that the disciples were men who were facing this persecution. They continued to testify and to speak out about what they knew was true. There are so many extra-biblical extra sources as well that show that Jesus was crucified by Pontius Pilate in 30 AD. 
The tomb was discovered on the third day, and what helps to prove that the resurrection is true is that in the Bible, it says that the women were the first to go to the tomb. If the resurrection were, in fact, a hoax, the women would not have been used as the first eyewitnesses because during the time of Christ, women were not seen as credible witnesses. They were not even allowed to be involved in court proceedings, and their testimony was considered to be unreliable. So it would make no sense at all that someone would perpetrate a story using women as witnesses unless it was true. Another proof of the resurrection is this, that many credible witnesses saw Jesus alive. There was over 500 witnesses to the resurrection. Think about that in our own lives, that if we were involved in a car accident and there were 500 people who could testify to the truth of what happened, it would be an open and closed case. There would be no question about what actually occurred. Finally, we can't miss the transformed lives of the disciples. These are men who, who went into hiding. These are men who were scared and didn't understand what was happening. And then when they encountered this alive Jesus, their life changes to the point that every single one of them died a martyr's death, except for John, who was exiled onto the island of Patmos. But let's not forget that John was boiled in oil before this happened. It's inconceivable to believe that 10 separate men would be willing to die for something that they knew was not true. I want to end with this quote. This is from Wolfgang Penderberg, and he says this, The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that no one would ever question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. Thank you, Brad. Um, You've given me a great insight today on why I believe what I believe. But I also agree with you in things that you've said about the disciples and uh, what that means for my life personally and for all of our lives. And that is we need to take a look at ourselves and look at our life and see if our life is lived differently and to what cost for what Christ has done for us on this Good Friday. Um, So exactly what will we do with it? If you'll just pray with me now, most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for the sacrifice that your son Jesus made for us um, on this Good Friday many, many years ago, Lord. I thank you for um, bringing to light all of these evidences so that we can be sure of what we believe and why. Lord, I pray as we go through this weekend in preparing for Uh, Easter Sunday, as we look to the resurrection and the foundation of our faith, Lord, I pray that we will go from here being changed and living a life that supports all that we have learned today through the crucifixion and the resurrection. Lord, we love you and we thank you the most for loving us first. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. To continue this time of devotion, you can go to our website to find more resources for you and your family. Also on Good Friday, we have connected with several Christian artists and put together something special that you do not want to miss. We'll see you next week as we step into the Gospel of John.